Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome everybody to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. Joining today is Aaron Costa. He's the Director of Client Management and Engagement at Hiding Group, a leading independent digital and full service agency. He's a marketing expert with over 25 years of experience working with a variety of different agencies and also has an extensive track record of brand building for organizations such as Google, SE Johnson and American Express. Thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. All right, awesome. So right off the bat, let's start with one hot controversial take about influencer marketing that you have, which maybe you believe strongly in, but not everybody else might agree. Well, I think it's less of a hot take, but I think what has become a large challenge for agencies and the brands that we represent is our ability to actually connect with especially macro and micro influencers directly, and to really have them generate what I would refer to as true organic content or content that feels more appropriate for the audiences we're trying to attract. I know personally, especially over the past two years or so now, I've had, you know, whether it's my media team or whether it's account services folks or project management, we'll collect a brief from a client where we want to involve an influencer. We'll identify 100 influencers who are potentially great for this campaign. We'll reach out to 100 of them. We'll get one response from one of them. So what we're left with is now utilizing these influencer agencies to actually connect directly with influencers. So again, that same brief, those same hundred influencers we contacted for a particular client, you know, I go to an influencer agency, I won't name one in particular, there are a lot of large ones, there are some small ones. And when I give them the brief, the next day, I'll get back 99 of the hundred that we had already identified we want to work with. But again, we can't connect with them directly. And ultimately, we're now bound within a middle person environment where we have to interact with this influencer agency as opposed to the way it was previously, you know, as influencer marketing became more popular, where you were more likely to connect directly with an influencer, come to an agreement, come to a shared amount of content they were going to create, come to compensation and move forward. So what it's doing is A, it's slowing down the process of our ability to react quickly to onboard influencers. And also, again, it's just become a more procedural process, which, again, I feel like dilutes the impact of influencer marketing across the board. Got it. And there are a couple of things there, right? One is this whole agency influencer relationship, right? A lot of brands, especially the small ones, are struggling to find the same kind of responses that you are talking about, right? When they're trying to reach out to influencers, micro-influencers, nano-influencers directly and not getting a response, but they might not be at a place where they can afford a big agency. What do you think is happening that the agency is able to get a response, but a direct brand outreach is not getting? Well, ultimately, what we've done with influencers and content creators on a whole is we've added them to what I would refer to as the talent pool. You know, they're much more akin these days to an actor or a model in the sense that you must go through their representation in order to engage with them. So, you know, where that has elevated their status in some areas, again, it makes it much harder for a smaller brand who therefore might have been able to hire a micro-influencer and spend a few thousand dollars, let's say, and have them create some content versus needing to engage with a much larger organization, which is going to take their share as well as their talent fees as well. So your added cost and, again, time and call it procedural impact, you know, for anyone's ability to actually engage with influencers these days or content creators. 
Got it. Makes sense. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into influencer marketing, particularly in the small brands versus big brand space, because I want to hear your perspective on both. But before we get there, tell us a little bit more about Highlink Group and particularly your role there. What do you do? Sure. So Highlink Group actually is a global agency. We were founded in 1994 in China, of all places. Actually, our first clientele were in the auto space. And our founder, ultimately, what he was successful doing was during the early days of call it the you know early internet wild west, so to speak, he had the foresight to look into advertising inventory of websites and actually purchase inventory and then resold it to other agencies, advertisers, and brands. And that's how we initially started our business. Since then, we've grown up to 15, 16 offices globally. We have a very heavy presence in APAC as well. But our major headquarters is here in Los Angeles, as well as satellite offices recently opened in Bogota and New York, very active in the EU as well. But again, we do have a, a what I refer to as APAC expertise just because of our large presence there. We're actually probably one of the largest, if not the largest media purchaser in APAC these days as well. A lot of times agencies may be working with us and not even be aware of it just because of the size and scale of the amount of media that we run through APAC currently. Highlink Group, though, is made up of four distinct agencies. There is Highlink Media, which as appropriately so, handles media planning, buying and execution, and analytics. There's Highland Creative, which is our creative and strategic agency, where we do more brand consultancy and more traditional creative services. There's also Highland Forge, which is our technology agency, where we do app development, web development, cybersecurity, you know, all things you would associate with a technology agency. And as well as there's Highland Public Relations, which is our PR wing, which is highly active and are supportive of a lot of our U.S. brands and brands in the Americas and in terms of running their PR services, especially in APAC. My role, obviously, is I sit in the Highland Group, as it were, and I sit across all of the agencies and I act as the leadership of our client services team as well as our strategy team. All right, awesome. Thanks for that background. Tell me a little bit more about influencer marketing, particularly in the small brands versus big brands context, because you've worked with big brands like Google and American Express, right? And they have this whole brand equity that they've built over time and they are a lot more sensitive towards how they want to represent their brand and therefore maybe want to define a particular narrative with an influencer. Whereas a small brand, which might be a direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand, for example, is just starting out and they don't even have maybe a necessary brand guideline established per se. How do you see influencer marketing in these different lenses, whether you're a big brand or a small? For big brands, influencer marketing has just become another necessary channel, per se. Whereas for a much smaller brand, let's say to your point, you know, like a DTC cosmetics brand, right? That doesn't have the budget and the presence and the current brand and sentiment awareness that a large existing brand, you know, called a corporate brand does. For them, an influencer would say even 100 or even 150 followers were very active you know, can be much more impactful for them in terms of raising brand awareness and increasing positive sentiment. What I see with the larger brands is, again, as we discussed earlier, you know, they're going to the influencer agencies, they're giving a brief. It's more just a part of the agency chain of command, so to speak, at this point. It's just another channel. You go to the agency, they inquire talent for you, and they produce content that is 100% on brand and follows brand guidelines. But ultimately, what we find is, that, and especially with those larger influencers, let's say, someone with a following of 5 million people we know that the engagement rate actually with that is very small, in fact. 
And the impact that has is negligible at best. But again, it's just become this kind of necessary, well, we've got to have TV because people still watch TV. Well, we've got to be on radio because reasons. You know, it's just become a self-fulfilling cycle of here's a channel. So let's create content to put on that channel and whatever. It costs a lot of money, but we're supposed to do it. Whereas again, the smaller brand, you know, needs to be more mindful of a being able to engage with a micro or macro influencer these days, you know, find someone who's appropriate for them. And we still work with a lot of SMBs, obviously here in the Americas, especially we find it challenging just based on their budgets, again, to be able to engage influencers. And it will be appropriate. What we find is, especially for cosmetics, for skincare, for fashion, beauty, these verticals, especially influencer marketing is amazingly impactful. It really is. The amount of social sharing that we see I just saw this great t-shirt, you know, I sent it to my friend, he sends it to his friend. That direct consumer model really benefits from those smaller influencers because again, their audience is much more engaged because quite frankly, that's why they only have 150 to 200 followers, let's say, but because they're more active and they're more likely to view that content on a regular basis and they have a positive sentiment towards an influencer or content creator, they're more likely to again, engage with that smaller brand. And when those smaller influencers do get engaged by larger brands, what we find is that the sentiment is not positive. We get the claims of, well, there's my favorite fashion Easter person. And you know what? Now she's working with this huge brand. I no longer trust her. You know, she's obviously just being paid to do this. There's this odd belief that, you know, influencers creating content at the smaller level are somehow more, for lack of a better term, down to earth than a larger influencer, let's say, who has a million followers. And there's, by fact, there's a little bit of truth to that too. Someone who's creating content for their love of creating content because they truly enjoy it is more likely to be engaged and to get engaged by a smaller brand because they want to try the product or they are a fan of the product. They just want to evangelize it. Yes, there's compensation involved and there's their time and there's their effort, of course. But ultimately, those smaller influencers, smaller content creators, they have more brand validity with their audiences than the larger influencers do, at least in my expectations these days. He caught it. And something that keeps coming up is the whole thing around authenticity and trust, right? And the reason influencer marketing as a channel works is because consumers trust that the influencers that they follow are sharing the right things. And there is that level of trust. And as a small brand, right, how do you make sure you find influencers that can be authentic to your brand? Well, you know, what I see and what I've been successful with and my team here has been successful with for influencer marketing over the more recent term of six to nine months is identifying influencers who have a potential, let's say. People who are content creators that are creating content on the regular that are authentic, to your point, but really don't have much of a following and ultimately engaging with them in the moments before they start to get noticed by larger organizations, larger brands, or influencer marketing agencies. You're building your own talent pool, so to speak. You know, it really comes down to the cultural awareness of our creative teams, of our strategy teams to identify these people that when they come across their own personal feeds, let's say. So recently, we work with a lot of luxury, fashion, beauty brands, skincare here at Highlink. So therefore, our, especially our strategy team, our creative team tends to follow influencers in that space and content creators, and they easily identify new influencers who maybe only have a following of 5, 10, 15 people that are kind of more of a personal level. And again, there's an authenticity right there. Once we've identified those influencers, we reach out to them and say, hey, in the near future, we'd love to bring you something to create content about. So we're creating our own talent pool, ultimately, that we can utilize down the road and even if, again, if they do start to get larger and do have representation moving forward, we've at least started that process of working with them. You know, we have an open line of communication. They're more likely to respond to an email or a phone call than just blindly sending a DM on Instagram to a potential influencer we'd like to engage with. All right. Awesome. 
talking about influencer marketing right the concept of influence has always existed as a friend as a buddy whatever we influence each other into making certain purchases the concept of influencer marketing per se might be relatively new you've spent 25 years in the marketing side working with agencies as well as brands what have you seen as the evolution of influencer marketing and what's gotten us here. I often hide behind my early days of influencer marketing because I don't hold myself personally responsible. And it wasn't just me, obviously, but there's many of us in the advertising space, probably in the late 2000s, we're starting to see our ability for social media, obviously, to be a selling platform. And ultimately, again, the celebrity presence on social media was becoming much more apparent. So in 2009, 2010, I personally, working with Sears and Kmart, an unfortunate set of brands that have become depreciated, we were paying celebrity, who shall remain nameless, you know, $10,000 a tweet to push new products out into the marketplace. At the time, Twitter was, you know, one of the main platforms we utilized for influencer marketing because Twitter has always had a sort of instantaneous effect and a very large reach and the, the frequency in which it generates engagement has always been quite good. You know, and that's what, at a time when that celebrity, she had called. 500,000 followers, but the engagement rate with those followers was much better because there wasn't so many people in the celebrity, especially influencer space. And it really was in the early days of it in terms of marketing efforts. So, you know, what we've seen is that shift, whereas, and again, now we'll figure out who this is, you know, what we see her daughter these days, you know, as a celebrity influencer who's being paid a million dollars for an Instagram post, right? And she has 10 million followers. But again, the amount of expense we would incur with that is just a thousand times what it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And ultimately, again, but we're seeing almost a similar engagement rate because again, at 10 million followers, you're less likely to actually get active engagement from any of those viewers. And because we've established normalcy with influencer marketing, again, it's treated much more as what it truly is. To your point, it is just influence. It is just a commercial per se. It's just the platform has changed from being TVC on network television to being the 15 second video post on Instagram these days. And again, the cost and the rapid increase in the amount of expense that we've incurred in a decade plus has just been amazing to me to see to how much we're willing to, again, create a status of normalcy of this being a channel in social media and utilizing our talent to fill content into there. But ultimately, it's just a repurposing of the same kind of mentality of selling with television commercials that we've been doing for decades. Got it. And do you think relatively okay to say that the influencers with large following are more of a branding visibility sort of exercise versus the smaller ones actually drive better engagement and ROI? Oh, absolutely. So the larger influencers are just brand awareness, ultimately. As I scroll through my own personal social feeds, whether it be Instagram, you know, whether it be Twitter, there's so much content being generated, so much paid content, as it were, and is unauthentic to that sense of me as a consumer. Because again, I'm treating these influencers as to what they are, which is, again, talent. They're engaged in an active brand campaign, let's say, that's ultimately just brand awareness. And again, just filling that channel. And a more personal level, it comes to my particular hobbies or interests, an influencer or content creator that I follow. When they create content for a brand or organization, I'm much more likely to engage with it or to feel it's authentic. Because again, I know that I'm one of 26 people that follows this person's content. You know, so the fact that a brand is connected with them makes me feel more comfortable engaging with that content. And again, if it's germane to my interest or my hobby or whatever it may be, I'm much more likely to engage in that because it, quite frankly, it is what I'm looking for. I'm looking to digest content about something I enjoy, like, or appreciate. If they connect directly and they go, I've got this great t-shirt company and their products are awesome. 
I'm much more likely as a consumer personally to take that next step, to click on that link, to engage with that brand or product. And I'm much more likely to be converted ultimately because, again, I know that I'm one of 26 other people at the start who are engaging with this content. And yes, through social sharing that, you know, that can reach an exponential growth potential of tens of thousands of people. Let's say I share it with two people, they share it with two people, so on and so on. And ultimately, the social sharing factor increases the reach and frequency of that content. But again, because it's coming from such an authentic place, and it's much more likely to be authentic, I as a consumer, I feel like consumers in general are much more likely to engage with that brand at the end of the day. Got it. That makes sense. And you mentioned a little bit at the beginning about hiding groups starting from China, right? Is it okay if we talk for a few minutes about China and the influencer marketing context? Absolutely. And what's really interesting is what we've seen a growth over the past five or six years, and not just China, but in APAC as well as the rise of the virtual influencer. We've seen mass brands, but Amazon, Samsung, tons of luxury and beauty brands engage with virtual influencers, which is something that, quite frankly, five, six, seven years ago, I think we'd have almost thought is unheard of, and is something out of a futuristic sci-fi movie. But we see these virtual influencers having followings in the millions at this point. It's not just APAC, but we have seen the growth there. In all honesty, Highland Group is actually a part owner of a very large virtual influencer based out of APAC, who's been used by major brands, major organizations. So, you know, we saw the growth potential several years ago and actually bought into the ownership of a virtual influencer who we continue to utilize with our existing clients and potential clients. So what's interesting is, again, the space that they are most successful in has generally been in beauty, fashion, luxury, skincare. But we're also seeing them break out again into the mass market where we've seen high profile campaigns again with technology companies like Samsung, with retail companies like Amazon, you know, where they've done cross promotional products developed with these virtual influencers. It's become very apparent that if we're going to accept that an influencer is quote unquote unauthentic, well, why not just create one? And we no longer have to have this disbelief that, wow, I can't believe that my favorite influencer or so-and-so is now working with a technology brand. I thought they only worked with skincare brands. So it's been highly interesting to see how that it started mostly in APAC and is now spread globally, but just how many followers and how much impact a virtual influencer has in the marketplace these days. This whole thing about virtual influencers is fascinating for me, right? And since you brought up this topic, right, let's dive a little bit deeper. Do you think consumers or viewers know that they are following a virtual influencer? I mean, absolutely. And for someone to look at little Michaela, let's say, who's a very popular virtual influencer who's not been very present over the past year or so, let's say as an example, where, you know, just a few years ago, she was doing massive campaigns with Samsung, with Calvin Klein. Anyone who would view that content and not realize that it is a computer-generated avatar, if you will, I pity them. <laughs> I just don't see how it's possible to see where, she, again, in, you know, let's say little Michaela in this example, you, you know, will constantly vocalize the fact that she is what she refers to it as a robot. So a lot of these times, these virtual influencers, the style in which they're represented is an obvious note to their computer generated self. But what I find is more interesting is that they were creating backstories for these virtual influencers. We're creating lives for them. You know, they have dates, they interview people, they interact with real world environments like we've seen at festivals, let's say Coachella or the closing of the Olympic Games a few years ago where these virtual influencers are participating in the form of holograms or large projections, interacting on a real-time basis because, A, either they're driven by AI so they can respond directly, or their responses and their engagement is much more like a puppet, if you will. You know, there's someone sitting at a keyboard typing their responses to the question that was just asked or answered in whatever format they may be in. I think people, again, are embracing the virtual influencers because 
you can suspend your disbelief at that point. It doesn't matter that they're working with this brand and that brand now. You like this first one for whatever reasons you have, whether it's an affinity to their style, to you know the kind of content they've created previously or whatever it may be. You're identifying with them as an avatar. And ultimately, again, there is none of that need to feel, well, is this authentic or inauthentic? Because it's quote unquote all inauthentic because again, they are just a robot. Awesome. That's an interesting take, right? I feel like this entire space is a really strong learning in consumer psychology and how as consumers, we can get influenced, not necessarily so easily, but we don't even need another person to influence us anymore. No, it's amazing. It's a very fair point. You know, ultimately, again, that virtual influencer was created by a group that virtual was onboarded by, let's say, a creative agency like ours, dictated a brief, and then there's an edict to create content around there. So it really is just the production aspects are very traditional, let's say. You know, you're creating a script, you're creating visual elements to go along with things, where we see virtual influencers being put into a situation much more easily. Recently, I made the statement to a client that the best thing about a virtual influencer is they never have a bad hair day. They're never late for set, and they never go off script. They're not going to go off brand. They're not going to get a DUI on their way to shoot your content because they live in a digital space. So we don't have the challenges that we have with real people that do occur with influencers. Because to that point, I've worked with influencers. You've been successfully working with them for six, 12 months. They're on brand, they're positioned well, and then they have a real world issue, which creates challenges for both the brand and agency to continue working with them, whatever it may be. You know, they have that bad hair day, let's say. But with a virtual influencer, we never have any of those concerns. We just don't. Our ability to create content is easier in many aspects. And again, there's little to no concern for them ever damaging the brand or, again, doing something that can be deemed as detrimental to the brand they work with. Yeah. Going back to China, right? Influencer marketing is huge in China. And what do you think is working for them? And do you see similar trends coming to North America anytime soon? Absolutely. Again, with virtual influencers not being born in China or APAC per se, but we've seen you know their dramatic rise. We've seen inroads with some of the larger virtual influencers here in the U.S. and the Americas, especially in the recent past few years. But we continue to see that growth potential in China, especially just due to the fact that their viewing habits, their device habits are much more ingrained in singular platforms like WeChat or Weibo, let's say. The opportunity for content delivery is much narrower for advertisers like ourselves. So, you know, that call it that bite-sized content that influencers often are credited with is much more relatively accepted there and ultimately is much more successful because we've seen a dramatic decrease in linear television and linear radio and things like that. And again, the content size has really been dictated by the audience where people are scrolling constantly on a phone. They don't have time to digest 45 seconds. You're likely to hold their attention for two seconds. So if you can hold their attention for two seconds, you might get 13 more seconds out of them, but that's probably it. So getting someone to to hold on that video content on Instagram is very hard to do. But again, because of this kind of call it more singular use platforms that we see in APAC and especially in China, that's the only platform that these folks are on. So again, you've got to utilize what is going to best sate their needs for content, which is influencers or content creators in this case, not your minute and a half long TVC per se. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. And talking about influencer marketing again, for folks who are just starting out, right? Like if you're a small brand, Starting out with influencer marketing, you might be a D2C e-commerce store on Shopify. How do you get started? What are some things to keep in mind? Like I suggested earlier, I think for smaller brands, the opportunity is to create your own talent pool, right? To identify a content creator who may have little to no following, but with your assistance as a brand and giving them credence and giving them content briefs and compensating them again, you know, allows the smaller brand to build their own talent pool. 
And as they grow in size and stature from a content creation standpoint, eventually the influencer may move on from working with that smaller brand. But that's why I think it's a constant cycle. You've got to be constantly identifying potential influencers, if you will, and identifying them as initially as content creators. And then again, forming those relationships early on in their careers, as they obviously are, and then helping to guide and grow their following through your own efforts. So what we don't see a lot of in the large brand space is, is the need for a large brand to promote a large influencer, right? They already have that active following, you know, million plus people. So, but with a smaller micro influencer, who is again, it's just, let's say a content creator just starting out who has, you know, six followers and four of them are family members, but you've identified that they align with your brand. They're part of your potential audience, let's say. My advice to the smaller brand or agencies looking to engage with smaller influencers for their smaller brands is ultimately to cultivate those relationships early on and to help grow them as a content creator, ultimately. Got it. And we've been trying out influencer marketing as well for a fair amount of time now. And in the early days, one of the things that I had observed was you have limited budget, but you want to keep trying different influencers. Do you think it's a better strategy to find a few influencers and work with them for slightly longer term projects to see more value rather than trying to test out too many at the same time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've personally run campaigns over the past few years where, you know, we have had large budgets, let's say. And what we find is that the more content creators we work with for a particular campaign, ultimately, again, it it dilutes our presence, so to speak, across the content spectrum. I have an active client, let's say a CPG client that I was working with, say, about a year, a year and a half ago, you know, really wanted a summer influencer campaign. We identified, I believe it was 30 or 40 potential influencers. Ultimately, our ability to engage with them was accomplished through working through one of the larger influencer agencies. And What I saw, though, was that for a similar campaign for another client, another CPG client, where we only had budget, quite frankly, engaged with like two or three influencers who ultimately were much smaller audiences in the larger campaign and with the larger set of influencers and the larger audience, we actually got way less engagement than we did with the smaller campaign and the smaller budget. Because again, once so many of your influencers are part of your talent pool, creating content around your brand space, you're oversaturating, so to speak. It's like running seven linear commercials in a half an hour for similar products or from the same brand. You know, at a certain point, people are going to start to tune out the brand. They're going to tune out the content because there's a certain amount of content people will engage with or be satiated by. But once you're overfilling the cup, so to speak, you're wasting effort. So I think that's the challenge is that no matter what the budget, I'd rather work with a smaller talent pool because then A, there's less likely to have too much crossover because again, those audiences, you know, they may be similar and you may have some crossover, but you're more likely to have more engagement because you're working with less influencers and their messages being spread across distinct audiences versus kind of blanketing and covering multiple audiences and multiple platforms, where again, there's going to be so much crossover that you're going to lose engagement rates ultimately. Got it. Makes sense. And we talked a little bit about virtual influencers. What are some other things that you see as the future of influencer marketing? I think what we're going to see is AI-driven virtual influencers to a much larger degree where these computer-generated talent will no longer require the puppeteer. You know, AI has gotten to a place, scarily in some aspects, where it's hard to tell someone that ChatGTP doesn't exist anymore. It's hard to tell, you know, my sons, for instance, that they shouldn't let ChatGTP write their homework because it's like the Pandora's box has been opened. So I think what we'll see and continue to see is the rise of virtual influencers who are ultimately the content they're creating, what they're saying, quite frankly, or what they're doing. The content they create will be driven independently by artificial intelligence as opposed to someone for me to brief a creative team on what the virtual interests should say and then for them to write scripts and work with the production team to produce that content. You know, I'll be able to 
quote unquote, boot up a virtual influencer, have a conversation with them, give them a verbal brief or even a written brief as well that they'll scan and identify. And then they'll go off and they'll create content based on that brief without, again, having to have someone to actually be the puppeteer in this instance, to write the script, to position them in a scene, let's say, or you know, have them hold up a product and talk about it. We will be interacting with a virtual influencer who will have the ability to ostensibly be a person because, quite frankly, that's what we're getting closer to. So again, it's scary in some ways, but it's also very exciting because if we're going to utilize this digital talent, let them do what they do best, which is to create their own content now that they're smart enough to actually create that content on their own does sound exciting as well as scary, like you said. Yes, it's a little scary. <laughs> yeah, so switching gears a little to something more personal and fun, if you were to take out an influencer to lunch, who would that person be and why? That's a very tough one for me. There's a number of, call it food influencers that I follow personally. So I'm hard-pressed to put one there because ultimately what I would more prefer is to be able to show up at these influencers' doorsteps and have them create food for me or create a meal for me. It's also that even using the term influencer for what it truly means. I mean, where we bandy about the word influencer in marketing spaces, they're just content creators. You know, they're less likely to be celebrity. But is that really true? I'm a big fan of the, we'll call him an auteur of Action Bronson, who is a chef, who is a unprofessional wrestler, who is a hip hop artist, who is an artist, you know, who is a writer. So is he truly an influencer? I mean, technically, he's a celebrity, right? He's had show on Vice, you know, he produces you know, records, he tours, he creates content, but technically he's also an influencer, right? He creates small bite-sized content that he now produces himself. You know, he has alignment with large brands like New Balance, for instance, just recently put out a personalized shoe for him, actually several. So again, he's a celebrity, right? But he's technically an influencer because of the way he's being positioned by the brands that he works with, right? So when New Balance utilizes him, you know, he's a celebrity, but he's ultimately an influencer because they're trying to influence people to buy you know, not only the shoe that they produced with him, but to buy the rest of their offerings. But if you boil it down to his personal connection to the content he creates, well, again, he's a well-known prolific chef. So he goes and travels and shares his food content. So in that instance, you know, he's kind of more or less a traditional influencer. So again, it's very hard pressed for me to say, you know, is there one influencer I would love? Because ultimately it's harder to find what is an influencer. You know, again, we can do it, but in this instance, we're doing him a disservice by saying, well, he's just an influencer. He's so many more things. And I think a lot of successful influencers these days, celebrity or not per se, are successful because, again, the content they create and the audiences that they're speaking to, it's even using the label of influencer. We should move away from it. I don't think we will. And I don't think we can. But ultimately, they really are talent. They are a part of the engagement cycle between consumers and brands. And they sit somewhere in between being the AI or robots that are virtual influencers and ultimately being someone just reading a script. They sit in the middle of those two things, so to speak. And that's where, again, that authenticity hopefully comes from. So I know I dodged your question a whole bunch, but ultimately, I don't think there's one influencer or just one that I would love to take out to dinner because ultimately, I'd like to have some of them make me dinner. Awesome, awesome. And that's an amazing answer, right? I ask this question to almost all of my guests. And typically, you know, people want to meet with someone to learn something or to dive deeper into something. But I think if you're going to meet someone for lunch or dinner, might as well just meet someone that's going to make you an amazing lunch or dinner. Exactly. I couldn't decide if you actually made me try and decide. What I think, again, is important to note is that because influencer marketing has become just a necessary channel within our marketing activities, I think we will see it coalesce a little bit more as it's been already with, again, larger influencers being moved away from and micro and macro being more the norm. 
just in the same way that we now for streaming services or visual content, you know, we have a multitude of places we get it and we'll continue to, you know, we moved from a place where we had in the America several networks of television networks. We had X amount of shows per year. There was came along cable networks. We had a few more venues and, and in the feature films go alongside it. And now we have a multitude of streaming services serving us content, you know, in, in varying degrees, good or bad, and just so much more of it, you know, we're producing so much more content. So I feel like, again, just kind of that progression of where advertising and marketing is headed towards, which again, coming from an authentic place to start becoming inauthentic and then retreating back to becoming more authentic as we move forward. Yep, that makes sense. And one last question before we sign off today. You know, every channel is a marketer, right? You test out a new channel, there is always a fair amount of risk, right? There is a chance you're going to burn your hands. If somebody's testing out influencer marketing, what's one tip or advice you would give so that they either do justice while testing out this platform or channel and know whether they did a good experiment or not. It's important, as we discussed earlier, not to put all of your eggs in one basket. You know, if you have the opportunity to work with influencers and you have any budget to, again, I would rather work with three smaller influencers than one large one because it gives you the ability to test and learn against which of them will be most effective. And I think ultimately it's a question of quantity over quality slightly in this instance, because again, you know, if you can work with multiple influencers, you have the ability to tap into multiple audiences. And I would also recommend that people take into account that an influencer at its core is organic content, right? So unless you're putting paid advertising and to promote said content, the reach and frequency of that content is going to be limited to the audience that that influencer currently has. I know I've experienced this myself personally with clients, with brands, where you go to them and you go, okay, great, we're going to create this campaign and we're going to put on these channels and do X, Y, and Z. And you still have, whether it be a founder or you know, a CEO or you know, leadership at a brand go, well, can't we just put it on Facebook? Won't people just see it if we put it on our Facebook? And you look at them cautiously and say, you realize that currently you have a following of a thousand people, let's say. That thousand people are the only people who are going to see that content relatively. Their social sharing will take into effect. So let's say 10% of that audience will share that content. So you're looking at 1,100 people potentially seeing your content. You know, gone are the days, especially in social media, where the social channels needed to promote organic content in order to get higher engagement on their platform. Those days are gone. You have to pay for that now. So that's, you know, you turn that CEO and you go, again, that's 1,100 people. Is that all you want to see this content? And they go, well, doesn't it just get shit? Like, they don't understand still somehow. They still think that the internet needs to be self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not that way anymore. So the thing that we have to constantly, and it's odd to do so at this day and age, is to remind these brands that, again, we can post that on your social media on Facebook, for instance. You know, 1,100 people have the potential to engage with it. But if you really want anyone else to see it, we're going to have to put paid advertising behind it. We're going to have to promote that. And again, when in social channels, especially when things are promoted these days, or it's obvious that it's paid advertising, people are less likely to engage with it. So you kind of have to accept the fact that do you want a more authentic organic experience with less engagement or technically less engagement, but ultimately would be more potentially fulfilling from a brand promise or brand awareness standpoint versus spending money to create that content and to promote it? per se, to an audience that may have no interest in it. You may have higher impressions and views, but your engagement rate is going to be much, much lower. Digital advertising is not what it once was. Social media is not what it once was. It has become a channel and you have to create appropriate content for that channel or it will not be engaged with and it won't be seen. Awesome, Aaron. That's great advice. And thank you so much for spending your time with us. I think this was fun. I had a lot of fun talking to you and 
there's a lot of knowledge bits in this conversation that I'm sure our audience is going to enjoy. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get p h y l l o.com also make sure to search for influencer marketing podcast in apple podcast spotify google podcast or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms and don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes on behalf of the team here at philo thank you so much for listening